Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Image Maker Podcast. Today I want to talk about the exposure triangle. What is the exposure triangle? We're going to talk about that today. So understanding the exposure triangle really helps photographers and filmmakers capture better images and really allows them to push their creativity to the next level. So let's talk about side number one, aperture. You've probably heard this word if you've been involved in photography, the word aperture. What is that? That is the first side of the exposure triangle. In layman's terms, the aperture is a measurement of how open or closed the lens is to light. Now this is measured in what we call f-stops. Inside of each lens, there is what's called an iris, which is basically a series of small blades. When they're closed down, they create a small circle behind the glass of your lens. This iris is, is actually really easy to see when you're playing with an older, fully manual lens where you can turn the aperture ring and watch the iris open and close. On some of the newer auto lenses, it's a little bit harder to see this in action. Now, a wider aperture or lower f-stop number means more light will be allowed to pass through the lens iris and get to your camera sensor, into your camera body, onto the camera sensor. For example, when you have your aperture or your f-stop number on your lens set to f2 or f2.8, you're allowing more light to pass through your lens. If you have your aperture set to a higher f-stop number, for example, like f16 or f22, then your lens is allowing much less light to pass through and get to your sensor. So you might ask, why would I ever want less light to pass through my lens? Well, the answer is because many times when we shoot, we want everything that is in frame to be sharp and in focus. This is what we call depth of field. When we shoot at a f16 or f22, more of the things from the foreground of our image to the background stay in focus. But when we shoot at an f2 or an f2.8, some lenses even go down to f1.2 or f1.4. When we shoot at those f-stops, we start to see our depth of field becoming more shallow. And elements in the foreground and the background can tend to start going out of focus. But this can be a really pleasing look when you think about portraits that you've seen, really nice portraits that you've seen maybe on Instagram, where the background is completely blown out of focus and your subject is completely separated from the out of focus background. You can actually see aperture and depth of field in action with your own eyes. So try this little experiment. Put your finger about a foot away from your face and close one eye. When you focus your open eye on your finger, you can actually see how the background falls out of focus. But if you begin to squint your open eye, you'll notice that the background actually begins to become more clear as less light is passing through your eyelid. Kind of a cool little trick to demonstrate aperture. So it's important to remember that most lenses give you the most sharpness and clarity when shooting at around f5.6 or f8. But these are all aesthetic choices that you can make. And 
Some lenses can look really, really sharp and fantastic at low apertures like f2. All right, so that's side one, aperture. This episode of the Image Maker Podcast is brought to you by Gear Up, the new way to buy and sell camera gear. You can download the app for free on the iOS or Android store today. What is side two? Side two is shutter speed. What is shutter speed? Well, shutter speed is a measurement of how long the shutter within your camera stays open and how long the sensor in your camera body is exposed to light. Faster shutter speeds give the sensor less time to collect light and result in a lower exposure. Slower shutter speeds have the shutter stay open longer and allow more time for light to hit the sensor which results in a higher exposure or more light exposure on your sensor. Now, why would we ever want to use a higher shutter speed? Well, in most situations, we do it to freeze motion, right? So if our subject is moving around quickly and we want to freeze that moment in time without any motion blur, it's very important to shoot at a very high shutter speed, like one over a thousand uh, of a second or higher. Another thing to remember is that we can only hold a camera so still in our hands. And if our shutter speed's too low, then our entire image can be totally blurry. A good rule of thumb to remember, which is something that I was taught when I was uh, in school, in photography school, is to never shoot at a slower shutter speed than the focal length of your lens. For example, if you're shooting with a 50 millimeter lens, don't ever shoot at a shutter speed of less than a 50th of a second. And if you're shooting with a 100 millimeter lens, for example, don't ever shoot with less than a 100th of a second shutter speed. This will help you uh, gauge when you're shooting to never pick a shutter speed that's gonna result in too much motion blur in your images. Now, many photographers have said that shutter speed is the most critical of three, because if your shutter speed's too slow to give you a sharp image, there's nothing you can do in post to save your image. Now, the use of a long shutter can create a very pleasing effect, actually. Have you ever seen a picture of a river or a waterfall where the water looks like moving fog? It's a really cool effect. Um, and these images are created with very slow shutter speeds. So usually one second shutter or longer, maybe five, 10 second shutter speeds. If you try to capture an image like this, don't forget to bring your tripod because it won't be possible to have uh, clarity with parts of your image that are not moving if you're trying to shoot it handheld. We have some really cool examples of long exposure images on our blog post that you can check out to see some of the cool effects you can get with a slow shutter speed. So uh, check out that link in the show notes below. All right, let's talk about side three, ISO. So ISO is a measurement of how sensitive the digital sensor in your camera body is to light. A lower number, like 100, means it's less sensitive to light, and a higher number, like 1600 or 3200, means the sensor is much more sensitive to light. So Shooting at a low ISO like 100 typically will give you the sharpest and cleanest image. 
Increasing the ISO to a higher number allows you to expose an image in less light. But there is a cost to this. A higher ISO results in increased grain or digital noise in an image. What's happening here is your camera is taking the image you captured and brightening every pixel in that image to make the overall image brighter. But when there hasn't been a sufficient amount of light hitting your sensor, your camera doesn't really know what exact color and brightness each pixel needs to be when it's boosted. So we end up seeing a lot of blocking and artifacting in some of these images, which is rarely ever a good look. Now, I will say some cameras do an incredible job of processing high ISO shots and giving you a nice looking image. But most of these cameras are taking each image and doing a noise reduction and sharpening process inside the camera before it spits it out and you can see it. So it's really important to do tests with the camera that you have and see what ISO the image becomes unacceptable to you because some cameras are gonna do a lot better than others. I've shot with Canon, Sony, Nikon, Lumix cameras, and they all have different breaking points when it comes to ISO. Personally, one of my favorite cameras for shooting in low light are the, the Sony Alpha series cameras. In particular, the Sony a7S II did incredible in low light. I'm not sure what they did in camera that makes their images so nice in low light, but they figured something out really, really nicely. All right, so why would you ever shoot with a high ISO? Let's, let's just say that you're shooting an indoor sports event where the lighting is really weak. There's not a lot of light coming uh, from the, the ceiling lights. And to get a better exposure, you notice that you have to open up your aperture to f2.8. Then you realize that to freeze the subjects while they're moving, you need your shutter speed to be at least a 200th of a second. But your image is still too dark. Now this is where your ISO can really save you. If your ISO was set to 100, you can bump it up 200, 400, 800, or even more if you have a camera that does well in high ISOs, and then you can really get that nice exposure that you're looking for. And like I said, I've had really good experience uh, getting images with the, the Sony A7 series cameras um, at ISOs of 6,400, even over 10,000 ISO. I've been able to get some pretty nice looking images. So it really comes in handy when you have no control over how much light is hitting your subject. So that's side three, ISO. So you've got your three sides of the exposure triangle, aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. And understanding these three things, how they work together, can really help you to take your craft to the next level. So I want to talk real quickly about EV. When we have a specific combination of aperture, shutter speed, and ISO, we call this an exposure value or an EV. When we incur a change that either doubles or halves the amount of light reaching the sensor, we call this a stop of light. This is where math comes into play. Shutter speeds and ISO respond exactly how you'd think. For example, a change of ISO from 200 to 400 is an increase of one stop. A change of shutter speed from a 50th of a second to a 100th of a second is a decrease of one stop. But unfortunately, aperture and f-stops are not so simple. 
f-stop numbers are arranged in a geometric series where you have to actually use the power of the square root of two. So I never remember this. Nobody else ever remembers this kind of stuff. So the best thing you can do is actually memorize the sequence of f-stop numbers. And on many lenses, you can see all the f-stops that the lens offers. The most common f-stop numbers are f1.4, f2, f2.8, f4, f5.6, 8, 11, 16, and 22. And you might not memorize that right off the bat, but after shooting for a long time, most photographers actually memorize all these f-stop numbers. Some lenses even go lower than f1.4. Some lenses have a 1.2 or even a 0 0.95. Um, those lenses are a lot more rare, but they do exist. Now, a change from f1.4 to f2 is a decrease of one stop. And a change from f16 to f22 is also a decrease in one stop. So like I said, eventually you'll naturally memorize all these numbers the more you shoot, but it just takes some time. If you're interested in learning about some of the lenses that actually have lower apertures than f1.4, uh, we created a link in the show notes or in the blog post, and uh, you can read more about lenses like that. Leica makes a lens, a 50 millimeter prime lens that has an f0.95 aperture that's pretty pretty neat. It's a $12,000 lens, so most of us won't be using it, but it does exist, and they're kind of fun to learn about. All right, let's talk about image stabilization. We cannot forget to mention image stabilization when we talk about the exposure triangle, because it does affect that. So there are camera bodies and some lenses that offer image stabilization, which allows you to shoot at a slower shutter speed than usual. Remember that this only helps with camera shake and not subject motion. So if your subject is moving and your shutter speed's too slow, you're still gonna get a blurry subject. The image stabilization really only saves you when your subject is still and not in motion. So these are the basics of the exposure triangle. And we hope that uh, you learned something from this uh, podcast and there's a few more articles that we've posted in our blog post where you can learn a little bit more about the exposure triangle and they go into a little bit more depth than I did here. But anyways, hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you learned something and we'll talk to you next time. This episode of the Image Maker podcast has been sponsored by Gear Up. Gear Up is a new free app for buying and selling camera gear. If you're like me, you've been super frustrated when it comes to buying and selling gear on eBay and on Craigslist. This new app is super easy to use. It's beautiful and you can list gear in seconds, sell it and ship it anywhere in the US. Download the free app in the App Store for Apple or Android today.